right, you know what that sound means. I am Mitch Maley, and I am joined by TBT's Don Kitterman this week. And this will be the last Bradenton Times podcast for a little bit as we go on a hiatus now that we've got all the candidates in. And it is our campaign analysis edition. So we're going to go through the primary election races and talk a little bit about what we've seen, what we've reported on, all in one hour to help sum things up for you. Miss, Mrs. Kitterman, this has been quite a, a crazy couple of weeks. This usually like during election time in the primary, especially my experience has always been, it's a dead time of government. You got some budget things going on. You got the recesses, uh, not a whole lot of action and we could just focus on campaigns. This has not been that way since this new administration and new board was seated in 2020. It is constant non-stop, pardon my language, but just fuckery on all levels. <laughs> yeah, well, and there have been a couple of times that, I mean, in the beginning, we were going to split up the candidate profiles. Right. Right, and and I and I started one and stopped, <laughs> like, literally mid-work yeah, like, no, and kicked it to you because right. I had to go over back to... Yeah, so Mrs. Kitterman has been doing all of the... And, and really, we've been so consumed by county politics that so it's been hard to even cover much else you know we've still got the sale of Bradenton City Hall going on we've got some school board budget issues uh it's been really really difficult so the overwhelming nature of it is is hard to describe to listeners and if you're feeling like hey this is this feels a little different was it always this way I am here to tell you as somebody that's covered this you know this area for 15 years uh this is very different this is extra and it's never been anything like this. We've never had so much to report on. There's never been so much turmoil and things shaken up and, you know, really potential red flags everywhere. So uh, the amount of things that we've had to report on in the summer during a primary season has utterly unprecedented. So nothing like it. <laughs> let's dive right in here. So let's look at the first race that we're going to uh, run down is county commission. We have district two has a Democratic primary. So Amanda Ballard is uncontested seeking the Republican nomination. So she will be on the ballot come November. And that district has been redrawn to be much more friendly to Republicans. So that is going to be a different race this time out. Typically, that was a safe Democratic district, the only one uh, when it was the Central Corridor. But now that that's been split at the river and we've incorporated some of the more rural areas, District 2 looks a little bit more friendly, so we're going to have a competitive race in the fall. So this primary is important. Yeah, I mean, and at this point, uh, you know, this this race uh, at this stage heading into the, the primary, uh, you mean this, this general will be important? Yeah. Did you say primary? Well, general? the primary is going to be important because it's going into a competitive general. Right, right. But, but so far, it's been relatively quiet in this, in this race by comparison. Now, I think that will rapidly change after the primary. Yeah, the thing you have with District 2, particularly on the Democratic side of it, is it's really a, it's a small district. There, you know, a lot of those primaries, the you had less than 2,000 votes would usually decide uh, what was either a primary that would decide the whole race because there was no Republican competition or it was nominal and you, you knew whoever won the Democratic nomination. The, the past two times there was a Republican uh, competition, but, you know, it wasn't really... Uh, it was over by the primary for all intents and purposes. Um, we have here Charles Smith, who is the former commissioner. So he served one term. He beat Michael Gallen in, I guess that would have been 2014. Um, and it was the closest race in Manatee County history after several recounts. I think it came down 
One of them was two votes. One of them was six votes, but it was definitely the closest wow. race in history. And Charles Smith served one term. He shook it up a little bit. This was a grassroots guy. His family has very deep ties to the Palmetto community. He's got, uh, he had been already on uh, Palmetto City Commission. Uh, he has, you know, a few skeletons in the closet. He was removed from the Palmetto City Commission or the CRA or something as a young, young uh, elected official because of a, bad check writing thing. So he was removed by the governor, um, you know, but he, he did go on and serve honorably several, you know, positions past that. So Mr. Smith is someone who's not nearly as polished, I would say, as Reggie Bellamy. He is not maybe as versed in some of the, um, you know, the the statutory aspects of, of the things that the commission overseas and he's maybe a little bit quicker to jump in when that's the case than you know Bellamy's shown a lot of patience and he's always deferred to staff and um you know so you have different kind of people is my yeah point I, one race. thing that i've definitely heard in between these two uh democratic candidates just in talking to voters uh that are in district two and who participated in past elections and and watching the commission and and somewhat following the local politics those who are aware of both these two candidates, uh, it seems to be a similar theme, kind of like what you were just saying, is that um, personality-wise, Bellamy's maybe a little bit more um, reserved. And certainly, from, from what I have has been shared with me, prior to the ousting of the former uh, county administrator, apparently uh, Commissioner Bellamy was, was a relatively reserved man of few words, I guess he's Very found much. he's found his voice since then. Where I've heard that uh, Commissioner S Smith was a bit more outspoken Very and outspoken. bold, and yeah. not really afraid to to rock the boat. Per so se. by by one point, I would give Commissioner Bellany a lot of credit for the patience he showed in learning the job. So he spent the first two years of his first term really meeting with department directors, learning how you know all of the moving parts work, and you know. I don't think, as we saw in 2020, when someone doesn't do that, and, and when you have a bunch of people coming in and saying, yeah, we've never done this before, and we don't even have any idea how these departments work, but we're going to fire a county administrator, we're going to do all kinds of, you know, other... But other also, things. we know how to do it better, trust right. us. Right, <laughs> and that was the thing, and if you remember, that was kind of, in Bellamy's finding his voice, that was kind of the lesson he said is, hey, this isn't an easy job, Right. and if you just got here, trust me when I tell you, there's a lot of learning to do, and the idea that you just know best automatically... Boy, that that sort of you know I'm paraphrasing here, but you know that shows a lot of hubris. So I, I give him credit there. The question people I think are going to ask, and there's probably two parts of this. If we're looking at this as on a countywide level, my real problem with Bellamy is that he's taking a lot of developer money this time around. He took some last time, but he's taking a lot this time. A lot of landowner out in East County, the people that are trying to move the FDAB and all those different kind of issues. And on his votes that aren't for his district. He has been right in line with the developer candidates. He has not stood up against bad development very often at all. Um, you know, he he's taking money from, uh, you know, he voted for the the uh, project, the the giant east of the FDAB approval with the seventy two hundred houses. He's done a couple other ones where it's you know you're taking money from landowners and then you're voting that way. I would like to ask Commissioner Belly that directly, but I've. You know, he's never been willing to sit for an interview. I've run into him several times. He's cordial, but he will not sit down on the podcast. He would not participate in the League of Women Voter uh, Forum. So uh, 
I kind of give him a ding there that he he talks from the podium, but he doesn't you know answer for his votes. And I you know it leads me to believe that he doesn't want to have the uncomfortable question of hey man you're taking a lot of money from developers and landowners and you're you're voting you know their way let on me, issues. Let me ask you this: Is what you're seeing now? I haven't had a lot of time to really uh, dive real hard into because of the other work I've been doing. Uh, what is showing up on on any of the local commission candidate uh, finance filings? Is is what you're describing here in the in the Bellamy race is that uh, to a to a greater level than you recall seeing the last time oh, he ran? No question, no question. Last time he got a little bit of development money, and it was really just most of it was after the primary. So after he beaten Smith, and they knew he was going to be the candidate, they threw him some bones. This time they've been. I mean, he's raised a considerable amount of money. He's, he's getting close to six figures, uh, which has never happened in District Two, uh, to my knowledge. Um, I think. Uh, think Michael Gallon might have raised the most there and it wasn't even close to that. Um, you know, so he's he's doing he's doing well in the financial department. What what is uh what is that in comparison? Charles Smith is running a very grassroots campaign. So. Well I was gonna I am kinda jumping outside of the primary election here, but compared to Ballard at this point. I haven't done an analysis of two of them together okay. because we're not in that race. Right, I understand. Um but looking at it this way, this this is where I break this down. Because at the end of the day, District 2 voters should vote for what's best for the district, and they will. And I don't think a lot of people in District 2 are really worried about the county development issues, and I understand that. They're worried about getting sidewalks where mm -hmm. the kids run the school. Uh, they're get worried about getting streetlights in places that are 100 years old and don't have streetlights mm -hmm. yet. So they're worried about you know, finally getting an aquatic center after being promised for like 50 years. So, and, and both commissioners deserve credit. You know, Charles Smith deserves a lot of credit for getting that on the budget originally, fighting very, very hard to get that aquatic center. And then Reggie Bellamy pulled it through the hoop and mm -hmm. was just as vocal for it. And I think the question then goes to District 2 voters. Do you want the vocal fighter who is going to roll up his sleeves and doesn't really care what the other commissioners think of them and isn't trying to so much make nice as to say, hey, if you need my support on anything, you better give it here. And I want stuff from my district. And that's what Charles Smith represents. Where Bellamy, I guess the only, you know, he's got a little too much of that gentle giant personality for my liking in this scenario. That's that's great in, in certain kind of governments, but I don't know he he always is looking, you know, to to turn that corner and you know sing kumbaya and have this board come together in a way that I just don't think is within the realm of possibilities. And I think that's really the question there. Do you want the fighter or do you want the congenial, you know, uh, articulate um, you know, statesman and that's up for District 2 voters to decide, but that's the way that I'd present that race, and I think that's a very accurate description of what they're looking at. I, it's hard for me to have too much of an opinion on that because I am not as familiar with uh, Smith. Mr. Smith. I will say for Reggie Bellamy, as long as I've been watching this, uh, personally, I appreciate some of the the points he makes and the way he shares them. I, I do hear what you're saying about the, you know, this idea that we're going to work together. Although I will tell you, I don't think I've heard him say that anytime real recently. That that kind of ended a while back, that hope uh, or, or expression. Well, and, well, the problem also that becomes is that if you're taking that developer money, you don't have a lot to barter with for your district strategically. The thing Smith could always say was, look, I might not care about that project in Lakewood Ranch. It doesn't affect my district, but you're not getting my vote unless you give me something for it. 
uh, he had no fealty to developers because he took no money from them. Where Bellamy, he's voting with Whitmore and Serbia, at least, on every one of those issues. And, you know, they're mostly voting for the developments. Um, you know, Whitmore, or excuse me, Serbia deserves credit uh, for being the lone vote against that, you know, ridiculous 7,200-unit uh, project east of the FDAB where they just basically created tens of millions of dollars in value for a local landowner. Um, you know, so he doesn't really have, they know if he's taking that money, he's going to make those votes. He doesn't, I don't think, have as much leverage to come back then and say, I need your vote on this thing in District 2. Well, it, but if it is his, if if perhaps in his mind, and I don't know because I haven't spoken to him either, if this is the last time he's going to run, we unfortunately will not know until if he were to win, how far those funds actually and go. I don't, to, has to, he said it's going to be the last time he's going to run? I haven't heard. I, uh, I have no, no, I'm just saying hypothetically. Okay. Uh, well, me, so far, he's been very pro-development in his votes. Well, That's our it, only indication. You know, it, 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 it's a hard thing for me to, to express here because I, I, I certainly think way more about uh, campaign strategy now than I ever had. And the the wild card of... of political consultant Anthony Pettisini and the way that he runs races, I think puts everybody on their toes from the get-go and they're strategizing out ahead of sure. what they know is coming um, because he has a very specific brand in a specific way and they know they're going to be inundated with a lot of money, a lot of mailers, a lot of negative, not even necessarily truthful um, and they also know the result record of that that you will be buried, <laughs> mm -hmm. true or not true. And so sometimes I wonder, and, and again, this is not, I've not had conversations and asked candidates outright because we haven't had, you know, Bellamy or even Serbia here on the podcast about this. But I do think to myself, is it possible in some ways that these candidates knowing that might be coming down the pike that they get to a point where it's just like, screw it, I'll take money from anywhere because I'm gonna need money if I even stand a chance. Sure. And if I can't win the race, I'm not going to do crap for my district anyways, because I'm going to be out. Well, that's that's the age-old question of, you know, uh, I can't, you know, move the ball unless I'm on the inside. So you've got to, like, inch it along. And my experience has always been once you go down that road, you never come back. Right. I mean, and, and obviously— It just becomes too easy to convince yourself this is just one more of those things we have to do until you realize, oh, yeah, this is the way the game's played, and I've just got to get my votes. And you look and you say, okay, what do you get for that? So what do voters get for you playing the game? And it's usually not very much. You know, it's, it's hard to, to, you know, point to something and say, you know, uh, things improved for District 2 under Commissioner Bellamy than they were under Commissioner Smith. Um, but from the things that, you know, we're concerned about from the editorial side of our paper of sustainable growth, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I have to look and say Bellamy's record of taking money and then voting in favor of bad development is a concern. And again, I would love to hear what he would say about that. But I also, you know, when somebody won't participate in the local forums that the media and different organizations make to allow voters to learn more about you, then all we're left to do is speculate. So mm -hmm. you know, it'd, it'd be nice, but um, that's all we got. Let's move on to County Commission District 
four where we have a closed primary that will decide the seat. So again, we've talked a lot about the write-in loophole. So this would have otherwise been an open primary where everybody would have participated. Uh, however, it will be just Republicans in District 4 deciding who represents everybody in District 4. Don't you love democracy? Uh, <laughs> where Misty Servia, the incumbent, is being challenged by Mike Ron. Mike Ron, former big-time Misty Servia fan, and now... That is uh, interesting, yeah, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Gave her a big endorsement when she ran for school board, a thundering endorsement when she ran in 2018. Uh, but he is now full on with that uh, hardcore right of, you know, Genghis Khan element of the Republican Party. And I will say, based on what I have seen out there, particularly on social media, Twitter, Facebook, a real this, gentleman, isn't he? This is the ugliest race right? at the moment. I mean, there, there's a lot of dust up going on in six, but this, I feel like, in my professional opinion, is, is pretty just in the gutter right yeah, now. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, I mean, we've got, if you... Of this whole cycle, up and down this whole slate we're looking at right now, that is the ugliest race. There, the There is clearly a uh, powerful... Wealthy, potentially wealthy forces that would like to see Serbia uh, not win this race. I mean, and if you look at, if, if anybody goes to Facebook and you just kind of scan Commissioner Serbia's, because I check in on all of them from time to time, just see what's going on on their posts and the discussion. Boy, you've got Commissioner Van Austinbridge, Commissioner Vanessa Baugh, um, Anthony Pettisini himself. I mean, they show up in the comment yeah, sections constantly. on the right. regular. Just absolutely. I mean, I thought I saw it, and I thought, aren't there like laws in Florida about cyberbullying? Because it's like I know <laughs> I she's love, a politician, but this is where that. we're at. I love that comment from Pettisini where she said something questioning, you know, Jacob Sauer being fired. Of course, we just reported on that where we have another director gone from the county as they're leaving in droves. And I think it was something the effect of, well, of course you'd be defending a uh, Andrew Gillum supporter or something. So I don't know if Jacob Sauer ever supported Andrew Gillum, the Democratic candidate for governor in 2018 or not. But just the accusation is if what does that suggest that a Republican county commissioner should check an employee, a staff director's political uh, donations or whatever he's referring right. to, and then decide whether or not they deserve to get fired? Like, is that... Right. Like, that's the most asinine thing I think I've ever heard. Yeah, and, ex and expand the resume there to force a... a uh, potential employee to turn over their, their previous right. voting record? Right. Like, I what don't it, understand what it, that. Yeah. That is crazy. It was silly, but you're looking at that. Listen, there, there's elements of this race that really, really disgust me, because... I, I've had a lot of disagreements politically with Misty over the years because we just have different ideological cores. Uh, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for her for a very simple reason. She's honest, she's intellectual, and she works hard. That's all I ask for in a public uh, mm -hmm. official. If you give me that, I'll take that most of the time over an unknown, even if I disagree with you half the time, because it's like, as long as you're coming from a good place, I know you love this community too. I know you raise your family here and you want what's best for it. I hear that in all your votes. I hear that in the preparation you bring. Nobody comes more prepared to a meeting than Missy Serbia. I mean, she comes with folders and files and, you know, prepared to ask smart questions that her background as a planner and, and you know, all of her, her professional experience, which for everybody that wants a ripper on that board, uh, I'd really question 
how they their resumes they think would stack up to Missy Serbia's in her you know forty years as a professional before coming onto the board. Uh, I think they would find that it pales. I think they would find that it pales. So you have Missy Serbia, who you know certainly a Republican. She's always been pro business, pro development. Uh, she's always always been pro low taxes and and you know efficiency of government. But she's just not on the crazy train. <laughs> and that's that's probably the thing I like about her most. But that's why they're coming after her is that she just won't swear fealty to this Republican Party of Florida and Trump train type platform where whatever we say, whenever we say, we want you to fire somebody if they're good, fuck you, fire them. You know, we want you to do, uh, uh, you know, vote for this policy that you don't think is a good policy. Forget about it. Vote for it or we're coming after you. She's with them probably eight or nine out of every 10 votes, but it's that, oh, you're not ready to just let us run the county as puppet masters. You're a rhino. And it's just, it's disgusting. When you look at somebody like Mike Ron and you look at, you know, his platform, what whatever there is of it, I'm not even sure I can make anything coherent again. He hasn't participated in any of the forums. Well, he, he, did, he did appear at a Tiger Bay thing and I did watch that recording. Um, it was some sort of candidate forum. Commissioner Servia was not there. I'm, okay. I'm not quite clear why he was there and she was not. Bearden, Feltz, and Whitmore were there of their race. Um, you know, and he, he certainly had... I didn't disagree with everything he, he shared. I, well, let's, let's be honest, too. Tiger Bay is a friendly audience. It's not particularly nonpartisan. I will tell you one thing that did stand out to me that he said, though, that I went, whoa, I cannot believe he just said that. And I believe I have heard Commissioner Cruz also kind of float an idea similar to this from the dais, uh, was that one, the question had to do something with uh, how would you, you know, approach the, the housing crisis and affordable housing availability. And he stated that, you know, he wants to see if he gets in there, he's going to advocate for to see the comprehensive plan uh, revised, edited, redone, along with the land use code. And that ultimately he thinks one huge fix is just to zone everything R. So zone everything residential. And he, and he gave kind of a, a, an, a, an example of why he was going that way. The, the example was, you know, Amazon comes, Amazon wants to build affordable housing on their property for their employees. We should be supporting that. Here was my thought though, when I listened to him, I thought, okay, and that's great. And Amazon should come before the board like everybody else and get an yes, approval and make enough. a pitch and do that. Easy enough. If you go and you make everything residential, I mean, there are, there's catastrophic fallout that's going to happen Listen. from that. One of which I felt like should be a red flag for, for agricultural landowners, in, which would also include developers, right? Because they buy land, hold land that they don't develop. They stick cows on it, yeah. right? But the taxing of those properties versus a residentially, blah, residentially zoned property is very different. Right, you have a very good point there. And I don't know that developers would be in favor of that, except you have to look at how built out Manatee County is. It's mm -hmm. not like, that, that was a much better tactic a long time ago. But if you said right now, when there's a tremendous amount of demand to build here, if you said all of the ag that you're holding right now, and they're holding a lot, becomes R, and trust me, they would buy more before well, and that it, was done. And also it would save them money, right? Yeah. And it would it would shorten the length of our land use meetings, right. that's for sure. Well, what would happen is I think that 
If that strategy was pushed by developers, I think it would be for a simple reason, which is we wanna build out what's left in this county as fast as we can, you know, squeeze all the juice out of the orange and throw the rind in the Now, field. and to be clear, so that this isn't confused, he was literally talking about everything yeah. zoned R. So we're not even only talking about agricultural, right. we're talking about commercial, mm -hmm. like anything that isn't controlled by the state or the federal in terms of floodplains and FEMA. Sure. And so I, let's wrap this up on this race. What okay. you're looking at here, the big knock that you could always have on Misty is she's too pro-growth, too pro-development. Um, you know, she looks at it, her ethos is that, you know, it, a lot of people want to move here, and it's our job to make sure there's houses for them when they get here. Uh, I disagree with her strongly on that. I believe that the, I prioritize existing landholders, uh, homeowners, citizens, property taxpayers, quality of life over people who haven't come here yet. And I think that we should have much more sustainable growth practices. And if that means that we have to work harder on land trusts and different things to get affordable workforce housing uh, because we're, we're, we're not building out as much, that's okay with me, because guess what? We're not building sustainable workforce housing anyway. Mm -hmm. All this development is just attracting new wealthy people from outside the area that are bringing more cars that we're then not supporting with EMS services, mm -hmm. with enough uh, expansion of adequate you know, sheriff substations and new cars and officers and all those different things. Um, and we disagree on that. You will not find an alternative to that in Micron, because everything that if you even look at the ones where Misty didn't vote in favor of development, Ron was on the planning commission on each one that I found saying, no, no, go ahead, do it, do it, do it. So he's clearly more pro-growth than she is without the nuanced understanding. He's a mortgage broker, build it, give me my check. Um, he's going to be another developer puppet who could probably use the money from what we've seen. Right, and, and uh, running on a similar platform to the four that we, yes, we got from yes. 2020 and in terms of what you were speaking to, uh, accountability, hard work, uh, transparency, outreach, accessibility to the public, you don't see a whole lot of that yeah. on the four that we've got. And I would argue, personally, I, I think Serbia far exceeds everybody else on the board in terms of those things. And you see how much, like you see how much Cruz goes after in public media um, or social media. You see how much uh, Bog goes after. You see how much Van Osterbridge goes after. Uh, the men in the Republican Party hate her. And there's a thread of misogyny in that that's undeniable because what I've noticed is that men on the far right in particular, in, in you know the modern Republican Party, they're fine with female candidates as long as they say everything they want them to every time. The sort of Sarah Palin, empty-headed 1950s you know, uh, sitcom wife mm -hmm. candidate is great. They love those. But as soon as you have independent thought, and as soon as the smartest person in the room is a female, they're not nearly as excited about those candidates. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. Uh, I think it's an easy choice for anybody that doesn't think this new majority is doing a bang-up job. And uh, <laughs> if you do, if you like the, the, the Fab Four, as they call them, then Mike Ron's your guy. Going to race number six, this one gets a little bit more complicated because it's a three-way race. And there's a candidate in here that, uh, boy, I think deserves all the credit in the world, and that's Carol Feltz who just a, a first-rate citizen activist who rolls her sleeves up, does the work, and comes into the meetings and pushes the commission in the right direction. And I'm really excited about the prospect of seeing her on a board. Now, that said, obviously, she faces an uphill battle. She's running with almost no money. She's raised, you know, for a grassroots campaign, you know, she's, I think, getting up somewhere around 10 grand right now. Um, had to spend most of it on the filing fee, uh, more than half of it. Um, and she's running against two very, very well-financed opponents in Carol Whitmore and Jason Bearden. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Bearden probably makes Mike Ron look like a rhino, no? <laughs> I mean, maybe. If, if Bearden's the standard, He's to the right I guess so. of, of... Crazy Town? Oh, man. That, that, it's new territory, let's just say. I don't, I don't know that we've had a, a, a candidate actually raise money and get backing and everything that has uh, been as unique in his, in his platform as Jason Bearden. <laughs> Yeah, and he's also um, pretty readily willing to get down in the ditch with the with the best of them. There's I mean, no filter for sure. Yeah, I mean, you see him on social media and stuff. Yeah. You know, he's there. He's a part of that. Um, we've talked about this before. That that weird transition that's overcome society, where there's a fraction of the people who now think the measure of strength is how much you can come out like just an absolute bombastic unapologetic I jerk. own them online. you know and then it's like and then it's like well that means you're tough right he, <laughs> that's how he strikes me that's kind of how he strikes me i am with you on that oh look at that, look at that. you've held out all this time all this time there's been so many opportunities We've got a whole bunch, yeah. <laughs> uh so you know look this race is um Really comes down to, I guess you have to ask yourself. I look at Jason Bearden. I don't think he's fit to hold the office. Um, I'm not sure. I would agree. I have issues with the fact that he's very new here. Yeah. Uh, I have not really. I have heard I heard any, anything about that he's ca- county do issue locally. Right. Right. Have you heard of any county issue that county commission really decides that's been on this platform? No. I mean, I've heard. I've. I think I've seen things written or said. Uh, along the lines of controlled de- development, but I don't hear anything about what that looks like, what that right. is, what that because means. Because he's too busy talking about abortion and gun rights and nonsense that, that and and the, li- and the liberals. Yes. And the liberals yes. are coming for us. What, how in does, Manatee County. And that's what I was just about to say. How does that even happen in Manatee County? The obsession with the fact that the liberals have run everything into the ground here. And you know... We, there has not been a liberal... We have not had a liberal... Since the Dixiecrats, when it wasn't even the liberal Democratic Party, it was really just when, and this is important to remember, when they, when they point to Tallahassee Democrats, what you have to remember is they're all Republicans now. The people they're talking about that ran the state, Pat Neal was a Democrat, you know what I mean? Um, when he served as a state senator. Uh, it's the same people that are the modern Florida Republican Party were the, the what they used to call the pork chop gang in Tallahassee. Uh, very few of them had stayed Democrat. They just went where power went. It wasn't really that Democratic Party anyway, which is always ironic too when some of these really right-wing candidates point out like Lincoln was a Republican and you know Democrats were KKK. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but you're not in that Republican Party and that's... Really, right, you're kind of in. You're in that Democratic Party as the crazy wing of the Republicans now. Yeah, the flipping back and forth thing really uh, confuses the definitions for people. So I guess I the question is: Is Carol Whitmore effective at all? Uh, I certainly think she'd be better to have on the board than Bearden. I agree. The problem I have is that she too is seems really eager just to be liked by everyone and and not to be the skunk at the garden party on the dais. I get the feeling that if she could convince Van Osterbridge, uh, Cruz, and Satcher to dump Baugh and be her buddy. I think that she'd be with them, you know, right down the line. I can uh, see that. And I know that there was something at the, at the what was it, the Tiger Bay that, what was the comment that you, rubbed you a little bit wrong? 
I think it was uh, concerning Carol Feltz. Well, you know, I didn't, when I watched that, that was the same thing I had referenced there with listening to Mike Ron. One thing that, that left me a little uncomfortable was it, it made me uncomfortable to see some of the exchange between in answering the questions. Now, I understand these candidates are supposed to be presenting opposing ideas, but there was something specifically about uh, the budget and a zero budget versus, uh, what's the other one called? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. See, I'd be a horrible candidate. But anyways, it's it's like a, a results budget. Oh, talking budget. about zero-based budgeting, yes. Right, 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 versus results budgeting. And, um, you know, felt, I felt like held her own in that and, and was willing to say at the onset to some of her answers to multiple different questions that were kicked her way, like, hey, I got some stuff to learn, but that's why I'm here and I've learned as much as I can and this is what I can tell you of what I do know, but I'm willing to concede too that the two sitting on the sides of me, Ron and Whitmore, likely have more tangible knowledge on in terms of, of local government than I do on these things, but I'm here to learn. And at one point, Whitmore did, when it was her turn to answer that specific question about the budgeting, she responded with a, um, you know, you shouldn't run for this job if you don't know how to do a budget. If you don't know these things about the budget, you shouldn't run. And that, where that rubbed me the wrong way <laughs> it's just because I feel like, does anybody really come into office? Like, what percentage? No, and that's the something that the career politician puts as a defense, which is ironic then, because when she sat here in this podcast, she talked about how, what was it, the Beach Boys were going to come to a concert, and that's why the first time True. she went to City Hall, and True. she didn't know anything about it, and then that sparked her interest, and then she soon afterward ran for, mm -hmm. you know, a city council seat. Uh, it seems like she came in the same way, like everyone else does. So the idea that, listen, there is something with experience. Whitmore has a lot of institutional knowledge well, in terms of the departments. Well, but, and, and let me say too, you know, to, in, in fairness, I, um, as a person commissioner, from what I can see watching meetings, I, Carol Whitmore, in my mind, is the least of our concerns, I guess you could say. Now, among, there's only three of them who are up for sure. re-election. So, um, but I like her as a person, near as I can tell. Like, I, I don't, I don't see her, I don't. I don't want to label people things, but I don't see her being that same sort of personality, what I was just describing about that unapologetic, just going no, out definitely and not. bully, just definitely being not. mean no, for she, the sake of being mean. You know, she has more of that personality where it's important to her to be liked. And so she is congenial. I give her a lot of credit that she listens to constituents. She'll talk to anybody. She tries to get people resolution. She doesn't look and say, well, they're not part of my party. They didn't support me. They didn't vote for me. Right. You know, she which is that that's a dangerous thread that we're going down where we're having these Republican commissioners in a county that's, you know, when you look at it, the independents and the Democrats outnumber the Republicans. So just because Republicans are better situated to win somewhat narrowly, um, but dominate over the whole thing, this attitude that, well, then elections have consequences and that means we only serve Republicans, well, that's and, dangerous. And that comes back to, you know, one, one area specifically, and I know this isn't technically a county issue, but uh, Whitmore certainly gained my respect in her bravery and uh, asserted response to the whole thing that was going on with the abortion ordinance. Yes. And she, she really just said, this is where I'm at. Uh, you know, and I felt like her answer was a genuine, sincere answer. She was not, she was less concerned with playing politics in that moment than just speaking her own truth. Um, and, and that is, in my mind, respectable and a leader. I would prefer to see more of that everywhere, all the time. Um, yeah, so. 
So I think really what, what voters have to look at, Republicans throughout the county that are going to find this on their ballot, is, you know, if if you really think Carol is representing your interests, which I think a lot of people can make a good case that she is, mm-hmm. then she's an easy vote. If And certainly I think you could say, well, she's the more electable, and I'd, I'd mm-hmm. really not like to see Bearden get there. Um, but boy, I think, to me anyway, I think someone with Carol Feltz's passion I dedication. agree on the passion. I'd like to see somebody with a little more piss and vinegar up on that dais. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she'd be an excellent candidate that way. And I think she's she's thoughtful and I think she's eager. And something something that's kind of happening. Well, actually, let's, let's go to this next race and we'll come back to the packs a little bit. Uh, school board, so shifting over. Now, school board, let's, let's go over this real quick. On your ballot this year, if you're a member, I think it was about three years ago now, uh, or what, four years ago almost, that we had the referendum pass for the school district races would be contested in district. So it used to be that even though they ostensibly represented a district of so many schools and the parents and taxpayers and everything in that district, they were elected countywide. We were not in support of that. We liked having a single district. And the reason why we advocated editorially for that that referendum was because one, it's too hard and expensive to run an effective countywide campaign. If you have to, can- we have a really large geographical county, and a lot of it's rural. And if you have to get out there on a, on a shoestring budget and try to engage, you know, with four hundred some or you know at least three hundred thousand voters, um, that's a tall order, and it's usually going to invite in special interest money. When you can run in district, then. Not only are you only being elected by the people that you're sensibly going to serve, your your actual constituency, but it makes it better for candidates that aren't taking special interest money. And what we noticed a lot in races was it was very common for someone to lose the precincts in their district, but then win by precincts outside of their district. So you'd have, you know, District 2 in particular. Uh, in fact, um, uh, the person who's retiring the seat, Charlie Kennedy, acknowledged that several times. I think both of his elections, he said, had they been contested that way, he would have lost. Um, and he was still for it, though, for the right reasons, which I, I really respected. He was someone that said, we should push this referendum. The <coughs> referendum was too close to an election, I believe, so it, was, it, was, it had to be the next election after that. So this will be the first time. So I've already had people say, hey, why is there no school board races on my ballot? Um, that's because you live in a district that's not up right now. And... District 2 will be decided by District 2. Now, District 2 kept the old districts. So it did not align with the Manatee County Commission, which looked like they were doing it, well, very clearly for political reasons. Uh, And we have a three-person race here. And this is a very interesting race. You have Cindy Spray, who is pretty far out on that right wing. Um, You know, school board politics have been, you know, she's a state committee woman. Uh, Some of the answers she gave to the, you know, League of Women's Voters 411 on some of the race things and everything were a little cringy. And, uh... I don't like how partisan school board races are becoming. And the way that the REC is working very hard to identify, these are the conservatives, these are the Republicans, not acknowledging sometimes that some of the other candidates are also Republicans. They're saying these are our Republicans. Mm-hmm. And it's this top-down, you know, Ron DeSantis gave Spray and a number of the other people will talk about a endorsement that came after he sent out a pledge, which we were, it was explained to us that the DeSantis campaign said, Sign this pledge, and then you'll be considered for an endorsement. Not everybody got one, but you weren't getting one without signing the pledge, but we couldn't get straight answers from people whether or not they signed it. And uh, Spray was one of them who just said, I'm endorsed by Ron DeSantis. She kept answering the question, I'm, I'm endorsed by Ron DeSantis. She also did not sit down for a podcast, and I, I'm not sure whether or not she did the League of Women's Voters Forum. 
Uh, I know oh, no, she, she didn't because that's where some of those answers well, were. Well, they, they came from the, like, for example, Bellamy did the, um, I, I'll have to check on that. The, Bell, written, the written interviews? Right, Bellamy did the written one, but he, he declined to do that. I the, see, the I understand. Uh, which, you know, that's two different things. I, I'd like to see somebody think on their feet and know for sure I'm getting the answer from them and not getting help and all those things. Um, but so anyway, you got Spray, Harold Burt, former Bradenton City Councilman, and Susan Agrusso. Uh, I will just say that if, if, if you are of the mindset, and I, I'm the first person to admit, I've said this many times, that I don't think there's enough ideological diversity in education. I think it does absolutely skew left because I think for just throughout history, I think it's been proven that if you're the type of person that's going to go into education, you're more likely to have more liberal ideas. That's not a bad thing by any means. It's just statistically proven to be so. And I think as such, education tends to lean a bit left. I think way, way more so on the college end. And I think some of your newer teachers that are coming out are a little bit more activist-minded. And I think that's something that we have to be mindful of. I think that um, we need more ideological diversity in college education uh, departments. And I think that we need to be very strict about activism from teachers on either side, any political ideology of not injecting that. Again, they might say, oh, it's not in the curriculum. But again, not injecting that with the editorial. Uh, that said, I don't see this big boogeyman in Florida public education schools that the governor is presenting that you have a bunch of like pedophile child groomers running our education system and they're going to you know make CRT classes six out of seven periods a day uh, and this is a crisis in which we've all got to get into public education and run whether you have kids or you know in the district or not um, if you think that's true and you're on board with that Cindy sprays your candidate so I'll just leave that at that um, if you think that <clears throat> excuse me if you think that's true and you're on board with that I recommend looking into homeschool options, uh, private religious education facilities where there's a lot more control over messaging and you will get to know more on messaging or control messaging of what your children are being taught and think I just that narrative is yeah, it's frustrating. I'm with it. It's <laughs> so really we'll frustrating. Leave, we'll leave her over there in that category. Now, it gets very interesting when you look at Harold Bird and Susan Agrusso. Um, Susan Agrusso, both of them did sit for podcasts. Uh, they were extremely enjoyable. I would highly recommend that you go to our podcast page uh, at the top of our home, homepage screen and listen to each of those. They were very engaging. Susan Agrusso probably brings more tangible experience and talent to a school board race than anybody I've ever seen. I feel uh, like her resume, like down. she's um, <clears throat> overqualified, and I don't say that in a bad way. Sure. Um, She's been a superintendent. She's been a teacher. She has more than 30 years. In, yeah, more than 30 years in, in public education. Uh, it would be refreshing to have someone with the and six years on the audit committee, two as its chair. And I will tell you from covering the school board in, years ago when, it, when, when that started, uh, she was the like superstar of that audit committee because she knew the questions to ask. She knew where to look. She knew what she was looking at when she was getting data. That would be refreshing, because I'll tell you, we've had teachers represented on the board. We're gonna continue to have teachers represented on the board. She'd be one of them. However, we haven't had many people on the board that could question staff. And that's mm -hmm. important. We see that in the county commission with people like Servia. Uh, Cruz effectively does that sometimes. When you have somebody that has enough knowledge to say, okay, I heard your presentation, but I'm, I'm going to tell you I disagree with this part of it. I'd like you to answer that. That's important 
That sort of little bit of like this idea that you're just here to support them and staff tells you what to do and you say, okay, we're going to follow staff's recommendation. Why have a board? Just have mm -hmm. staff and a superintendent. Uh, you're just kind of rubber stamping at that point. But you have to know the moving pieces. And a school board, like a county, is complex. You know, it's not just the classroom. Primary objective, educate the kids. We all agree on that. But you're also running a massive organization, which is essentially the largest employer in the county. It has, it's basically a large transportation company, a large food services company, a large healthcare service company. Uh, that's a lot of things to be. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of areas to, to, to have some expertise in. And she's clearly up for that job. And I think she could be a powerful voice on that board in educating and pulling along other board members by sometimes just having somebody raise the question. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and then, and then somebody else is like, hey, yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. I want to hear that answer too. And that moves the debate in an interesting direction. I agree. Couldn't do better than Susan Agrusso in that sense. Now, Harold Bird is somebody that I've known as a candidate for a very long time. Uh, I, I've, you know, only talk, talked to him a handful of occasions over the years, but I've watched him as a city councilman. I watched him run for mayor. Um, I, I know his mother, uh, who was actually the former District 2 uh, school board representative and a longtime public educator, as was his father. Uh, you're going to really be hard-pressed to find somebody with a record of service, not saying, holding office, saying, I'm an attorney and I have all kinds of other things I can do, but I really want to serve my community on advisory boards that you don't get paid for, volunteering my time in schools. He's been a long-term uh, uh, substitute at Horizons, the, the alternative school for the county, for the last couple of years as he's been preparing to, to just better understand what's going on in education. This is a guy whose love for this community and willingness to commit his talents and his time for no other reason than I want it to be better is beyond reproach. So that's something that carries a lot of weight with me when I know you're there for the absolute right reasons. I'm not questioning anybody else's in this race, but I'm just saying nobody has a record of you know being a native, growing up, going through these schools, and seeing you know segregation, seeing integration, seeing the challenges at, at the Title I communities in this district, one of the most blighted and challenged in the entire, well, not one of the most, the most blighted and challenged in the entire county. Uh, lots of Title I, lots of English as second language majority schools, um, or, or at least priority schools. You have really, I feel like the right candidate for this district is also somebody that understands it deeply. And with that, you get Harold Burton, you get a man of honesty and integrity, which I think, you know, uh, you get with the other ones as well. Um, and it's just really going to come down to which one means more to you. So if you're looking at Harold Bird versus Agruso, I think that's a really tough call. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not <coughs> sure if I was in District 2 which way I would vote on that. Uh, but I don't think you can go wrong either way. Now, there's three people. And again, these are nonpartisan races, so there's no party identification. And what happens is if one person doesn't get a simple majority, 50% plus one vote, of the votes, the top two will go into a runoff in the November election. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I don't know if you have any particular insights on that one, but I really feel like, you, you, you know, it's, it's two people that you, you could have one mindset and then it comes down to more, you know, intangible ideals or else you're just over in another ideological camp and then your choice is obvious as well. Yeah, I would agree.
I, I think that you have one choice that is all about ideology and uh, you know more than myself on bird. Um, you have you have someone with qualifications, insights, uh, bringing that that sort of um, wisdom and experience, and then you have somebody in from what you're telling, you know, community connection and a lot of years of service, and also wisdom and, and experience gained from that, and so. the experience of being a legislator. So being on a board and having to get very good because he was a he was kind of a one man island on the Bradenton City Council in which. He was, it, it's Ward 5, but it's it's very similar in, in the lines. He was representing this forgotten district that had no developer money, nobody cared about, and it's only a five-member board, so sometimes they needed his vote. He was very cagey at, you know, trying to get things for what he gave, and that's kind mm -hmm. of what I was saying with, with Charles mm -hmm. Smith um, versus Bellamy. Uh, he was good at pulling along the, okay, you need my support on this, but this is important to me. This, this needs attention. And he understands, I'm only one vote. I need to build coalitions. I need to sway my fellow board members. And as a litigator, uh, I think he has an enormous amount of talent with that. So that experience hmm. is very relevant as well. So interesting race there, and I'll be very curious to see where voters go with it. But I, I, I think either of those two choices you could do extremely well with. District 4, you have Chad Choate, who was appointed by Governor DeSantis with lots of local input um, <laughs> when Scott Hopes uh, vacated that seat to become the county administrator, and he's going up against Sean Connolly. Now, Sean Connolly impressed me. He's a former Navy security guy. He's kind of a, I wouldn't say single-issue candidate, but kind of in terms of school security. His job was in the military and then as a contractor was in securing high-profile uh, uh, military establishments and properties, and he has some very interesting ideas on how to harden schools for lower money and how to do different kind of training and really some easy wins that he feels we're missing in making sure our schools are safe places. And he's got a lot of organizational, uh, you know, supervision positions and he's been in a classroom as well in the Navy. So, you know, he brings an interesting candidacy there and he was so adamant about being nonpartisan that he started getting tarred as a Democrat. And the REC sent out advertisements, hey, our, our three candidates, you know, Tatum, Choate, and Spray, uh, they're the three conservative Republicans. we got to make sure they get elected. And he took issue finally and said, hey, uh, I haven't said this yet, but I'm a registered Republican. So why are you sending this out as if I'm not? And why are you turning this in? It's supposed to be nonpartisan. Right. Why are you turning this into a partisan race and then kind of making it look like I'm the other party? Of course, they would just say, well, you're a rhino because you're not with us. Um, but... I haven't seen, Choate has not, uh, Connolly came on the podcast, we had a great conversation. Choate has not, um, he hasn't given any interviews. Uh, he hasn't done a lot to really know much about him. You know, he, he's echoed and parroted those Ron DeSantis, you know, CRT and gender, you know, all those things. But he was been pretty quiet on the board the first time around. You know, he, I'll give it to him that he, uh, maybe took the Bellamy approach in... That is exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Uh, in this race, unfortunately, I have not had a chance yet to listen to the podcast, so I, I just don't have enough footing to say anything well-educated um, on Mr. Conley. Um, Mr. Choate, I have watched in meetings, and that is exactly what I was going to say. I, I think that... I think there, there there's a level of um, cogs moving right. there, and I think it's somewhat intentional, you know? Some of it, you know... I, I feel like there's a little bit less steering from arrogance 
with Choate than, than what we see on some of the more yes. ideological on our, on our commission side. And so that makes me hopeful in that. I think with, I think with the surrounded with a good team of a total board, I think that Choate could be an asset. I think surrounded by an ideological team that Choate could be exactly what you're speaking of, this litmus test, you're with us, you're against us, you're a right. rhino, you're a whatever. He's now obligated to, and he's the only one of the three candidates who receive, say, yeah. to receive. Who publicly showed the pledge. Correct. Which is really it's not fine. crazy. No, I like that. Better. It's really not. Yeah, like, frankly, I wish they out, all would have. Yeah. It, but it's really not crazy that he would do so either because it should come as no shock. He was, he was appointed, appointed by, by the, the governor. governor sure. So, But, you know, just so with his, the little bit of, you know, insight we've gotten with his campaign press releases and stuff, he's clearly on that, you know, he, he's pushing that button to get elected. Uh, and that's the only thing I'll say is that in the absence of any real, you know, meaningful understanding of his positions during that, you know, uh, half a term, if that, that he's not even, that he's been in mm. office. Um, I'm just uncomfortable with that sort of, because here's the other part. It also flies in the face of Republican ideology in the sense that I thought everything was supposed to be local control and small government is the best government. So when you're doing school boards top down from the governor and doing this, what amounts to me when I look at it like a fealty oath, like I'll always be on your side, Governor DeSantis, mm -hmm. um, and you see DeSantis is clearly using education as a platform to run for president mm -hmm. and, you know, re-election for governor. But I, I, I think more so to la launch his uh, campaign for 2024. I agree. And, and I don't like that. And I think anybody I saying, either. you know, hey, I'm, I'm with that. I think it's a, it, I think it's a really unfortunate um, <sighs> undercutting of what the priority should be. Like we're like, I feel like politics again is really ruining everything because it's getting in the way of what the hell these people are supposed to really be there to do? Right. This is not supposed to be a money machine. This is not exactly. supposed to be a popularity contest. This is not supposed to be a a, a pledge of forever, no matter what you do. Overseas policy for our local public schools. Yes, children, education, teachers. Yeah. Um, I hate to see it be a battlefield for the I agree. culture war, and that's what it's become. I agree. Um, so th that's the way I see this race. I mean, if I, if I was in District 4 voting, uh, I, I'd have to go with Conley um, just because, you know, he's he's been honest. He's been forthright. It's very clear that he has no hidden agenda. He's not trying to move up to Republican politics, which I get the impression maybe Choate is. Uh, I would not be surprised to see him running for, you know, a state house seat or something in the future. And that kind of ambition leads to the kind of horse trading that, that I don't like. Let's move on to uh, School Board District 5, where we've got another three-way race. So we will know at the end of August who wins four, but uh, like District 2, District 5 is in all likelihood going to go into a runoff. And we've got another interesting race. It really reminds me of District 2 because um, you've got one of those candidates who's, who's you know, kind of on that right wing, and that's in Richard Tatum. I will say that, you know, I had a great podcast with Richard Tatum. Um, he's a retired Air Force colonel. Uh, I disagreed with him on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. um, however, I found him to be sincere. I found him to be... It was it was a very engaging podcast. Yeah, I listened to his and Golden's. He was very willing to engage in debate respectfully on things we disagreed about. And you can tell these are very legitimate ideological beliefs I have and mm -hmm. on his part. Right. And I agree. I respect that. I respect that. I think that there are people out there that Tatum will be their candidate for. Um, the thing that I'm probably most uncomfortable with 
is the way he's kind of really leading with those culture war parts, like the mm -hmm. CRT and the gender and stuff. Uh, more, more so G CRT and DII. I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure that he's gone into the gender stuff. But the the uh, but I know that's been on his radio show because I've listened to that a few times since. And I'm also, look, I'm, I'm agnostic. I am fiercely defensive of the separation of church and state. Uh, I am not religious in terms of any of the, the what we'll call the old religions. Um, but the, I'm always uncomfortable when candidates are really forward leaning into that sort of, and he, you know, he does paper it over with that. Well, I'm talking Judeo-Christian values, not Christianity. And that just sounds like window dressing. Similar to what you were touching on a minute ago about that, that odd contradiction between, I thought the idea of, uh, you know, smaller government was not having, you know, from the top down coming in and telling you what to do on a local level, right? And similarly, I have that confliction with this whole um, re being so driven by uh, your religious beliefs. And, I, and like I said, I did listen to that podcast and he did say, you know, well, I'm not saying that anybody in a prayer moment was one of the things he talked about or in you had pressed him on, you know, give me what those values really would what do those look like? What does that mean? You know, the, the Christian values you want to see. Um, and he's like, well, we, you know, it doesn't have to be talking about Christ. Like it could be any, but it's those moral. And he didn't really get super deep into, I mean, I guess maybe we're talking about the golden rule. But again, it is hard for me to listen to a camp who screams a lot about indoctrination and how horrible of a thing that is. And then they also want to talk about how everybody needs to believe and think and do in a faith way, the same way. And in fact, it should be taught in schools because that is what indoctrination is. Right. I'm sorry, I, I hate to break that I'm to you. I'm with you a thousand percent. I do not want people indoctrinating into uh, my child into liberal or communist ideology and pushing that kind of agenda in, again, it might not be in the curriculum, but you can you can manipulate your presentation of the curriculum to inject your own activism, and we've seen that. You know, if, if anybody doesn't think that's happened, I'd invite you to check out the YouTube channel called Libs of TikTok, which is all just like activist teachers, you know, proudly saying what they've done in school on their TikTok channels. Compiled, it's and again, none of it's in Manatee County. Uh, I don't know how much of it is in Florida. I'm not saying this is a big problem we face, but it's a real thing. And but I agree with you. It is a real thing. No, I'm not saying that it's not a real thing, I mean, but I do wonder sometimes when I see some of those videos, how many of them are made up intentionally uh, staged to create doubt and sow this discord. Well, so many of them are verified teachers, though. Like, oh, okay. so many times well, I don't know. I haven't checked they, it. They, yeah, I don't uh, have the time to investigate that too. Right. Well, I, mean, I look at both <laughs> sides of it. So it's absolutely a real thing. But then I agree with you a thousand percent. This idea that well, you know, we should be able to pray in school, and you know, we should be able to, you know maybe not to teach religion, but talk about Judeo-Christian values um, and the importance of them in history. Uh, that's splitting hairs. And again, here's another thing too. The Christian right has never, ever, ever been one to say, okay, we have enough now. It's always a give an inch, get an inch, give an inch, get two. Well, and, and here's here's the other reality. Christ, there isn't only one answer or one voice within Christianity. You cannot... Just, just like, because just like somebody, republicanism. <laughs> just because, right, just because somebody tells you that, you know, okay, we're going to put something into place and it's all going to be founded on the words of Christ. Let's say it, it even goes that far. Like we're going we're gonna to teach 
the children to lead their the lives the in the way. Uh, right. right. Um, do you have different camps on how that's interpreted sure. or how that should be measured or what that looks like in action? So it really tells you nothing other than somebody is going to come along and tell you how to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And they want everybody to be the way they think that individual who's looking down thinks everybody else should be, which is in agreement with themselves. And so, and it's, this is, I mean, in all faiths are like this, right? You're going to find people in, you know, what Muslim is the second, third largest. Islam is the second and will be the Islam, first. Of, Islam. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I'm, I have a couple of friends who are uh, active Muslims and they they differ on some of the sure. things oh, yeah. they broadly right right and and I see that in Christianity I see that in um, and even, I don't want even, any of them telling me how to live that's what it really boils down to right for me. and I guess that's my point is you cannot or telling my kid you how to cannot live. streamline these things and again from a camp who often I hear saying the founding fathers the founding fathers American history American history it's like how have we gotten so twisted up that we're even having these debates around what should be the fundamentals of we as a people should have a right and a freedom to live our lives and exist, you know, led by what, yeah. it's not provided we're not breaking laws. It's not only protection not of hurting religion, other people. It's protection from religion. That's important. Yeah, it's for frustrating for me and I just don't think so it belongs in the classroom. Not, if you're not uncomfortable with that, I will say that Tatum is intelligent. I think he's honest. I think he's sincere. And if you agree with his platform, I think he'll try to deliver on it um, in a way that is is as advertised. Um, All those compliments you just made and those positive words describing him, I would agree with those. Okay. And James Golden, I got to be honest, I, I just haven't been impressed with. He's had one term, and I can't point and look to things and say they've gotten better because of him. Um and I don't think he's been willing to take on the administration when warranted. I think that he's been, you know, he said while he's running last time, you know, that his job would be to support the superintendent. And I just don't agree with that. I, I, your job is oversight. And I, he hasn't shown himself either willing or capable, one or the other, of exercising what I would say would be effective oversight of the board. I think, again, he's well-intended. I think he believes he's doing the right thing. Um, but I don't see him having built a record over four years that says I should get another term. And when I had the conversation with Chantel Wilford, I would say that if you're worried, you know, and you don't like Tatum's ideology, Wilford is decidedly nonpartisan, which you can't say the same as Golden. He's been a partisan candidate his whole career. He's been something of a perennial candidate. He served one term on the Bradenton City Council that ironically he lost then to Harold Byrd. Um, and then he ran for county commission. He ran for Congress. I think he ran for state house at one point. So he's been on almost every ballot uh, as a Democrat. Um, Wilford is very, very unique. She's someone that, you know, both her parents are from Europe. Um, she's married to a man from the UK and she went to college in Europe, uh, taught in France, came back here for graduate school, and then worked as a multilingual translator in the United States in District 5, where she's uh, where she homeschooled each of her kids until fifth grade, and then they all went, one of them has since graduated, and I believe two of them are still in the, in, in the district. And talk about someone who is just passionately excited about maybe even the most mundane parts of education, and you'll get to somebody like Chantel Wolford, and, and that impresses me. That's someone who 
this is their thing. It's not an issue for them that they're a political person and are taking up this fight. It is, this is my thing, public education. This is, I'm invested in my own children's education, clearly. You know, if we took the time and resources and energy to homeschool them, and I'm very excited about being part of the conversation of where does the district go as technology changes, time changes, and so forth. And the level at which we were able to converse, I found her to be deeply intellectual, um, very engaging, and in a way that just seemed like the kind of person that could be very, very effective, persuasive, and not off-putting at all, uh, I think she would be a very, very dynamic candidate. I was extremely, extremely impressed uh, by our conversation. I think if I was in District 5, um, that's the way I would go in that race. I look forward to hearing that that podcast. So, interesting part on all of these now, we, we've done... So you've, Actually, Dawn has done some outstanding reporting on the political action committees that are involved in these races. And one of the things that we've noticed is there's some kind of like strange little packs going after uh, different candidates in the same race where the money looks like it's coming from similar places. And for example, uh, there's a pack um, that is backing Susan Agrusso uh, in... District two, there is one that is backing Whitmore, but then also one that is backing Bearden. Uh, there is one that is backing Misty, but then also one that is backing Ron. And it really seems like if I had to, uh, uh, let me let me be very honest here. If I, all I'm doing here is speculating with my years of experience, but if I had to guess, I would say that there's a little bit of a of a disagreement on the r- right of center to far right. Um, political sphere in Manatee County, and let's call that the developer special interest wing of the party, a little bit of a disagreement on how far down the rabbit hole they want to go. And I I get the impression, I've always gotten the impression that Pat Neal is more moderate than Carlos Baruf. And it feels like to me, and again, I'm just speculating here, it feels like to me, Neal is more interested in winning on his developments. He wants to get his approvals and he wants to be seen as a pillar of the community. He wants to be liked and respected. He was a state senator. Um, there's a certain degree of vanity you know, that goes with running for office. Um, but I, I feel like he's less ideological. He was a Democrat when he's a senator, but we've also talked about the dynamics of how that's changed. But I don't see him as being as far right. He was Adam Putnam, not Ron DeSantis. He was Jeb Bush, not Donald Trump. Um, Carlos Baruf, on the other hand, if you remember, ran for Senate again, pro- trying to primary Marco Rubio, who we didn't see as being nearly conservative enough. He was all in for uh, DeSantis, all in for Trump. Um, he is not the moderate in there. And I wonder if maybe some of this is a result of sort of the Neil faction going after maybe Bearden and Spray in terms of promoting someone else or, or attack ads either way. And then maybe it's the Baruf faction that is going after Misty and going after Whitmore. That I would agree. be my guess. I agree. I've had similar thoughts, uh, especially while looking at the PACs. Um, and, I, and I, I mean, it's very difficult in the PACs because especially with speaking on commission races. So you've got one main PAC, the Make America Great Again PAC. Um, it's an Eric Robinson PAC. And it is putting out 
uh, tack ads. Um, when you say Eric Robinson Pack, you mean he's the treasurer for it? or He is the treasurer and he's the registered agent. And a registered agent, okay. He, he's not the chairperson, however. Um, but uh, attacking Whitmore, heavily attacking Serbia, and I think we can keep an eye out and, you know, unless they just do something different to prove me wrong because I'm saying <laughs> it out loud, but I also think that is what we will see in District 2 also will be um, that pack will well, be attacking whoever And the, let's, let's uh, think about that for a second because... Democrat nomination. Because Bellamy's money, I can tell you in particular, on the development side, is coming more from the Neil faction. Well, I... Not the Brew faction. Mm-hmm. And I would... Yes, so that's to say what I'm again. saying. So, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I would say you're probably going to see then the Baru faction, or let's say the more right-wing packs. Well, and also let's supporting Amanda Ballard when it comes and, to and let's put another string connecting that there, since we're going to go ahead and speculate this way. Uh, the Make America Great Again pack is who is the pack that was putting out the stuff in 2020 in support of you know the the, the George Cruz, George Cruz, James Thatcher, right? Satcher, exactly, right. Um, and them plus both all share the same political consultant, yep. same political operative, and the three that we have running for the commission. Ballard, Ballard, Bearden, Ron, and Bearden, Ron. All well. also share that same political consultant. Their stuff is coming out of the same pack. That is why I'm almost certain we will see. Um, Ballard get that support. Yes. Right, correct. Yeah, I agree. So you'll see this. And, and, and I'm so sorry. Go ahead. And one other thing. Based on what I've seen, I have a lot of people who send me, and I, I kind of requested to people that they start doing this. They send me photos of the, yeah, the mailers and stuff they're yeah. getting and um, text messages and things. The amount of money being spent in that District 4 race in attempt to defeat Misty Serbia yeah. is overwhelming. Yeah. By far more than I've seen anywhere else. And listen, that's why you see that it is grudge money because it doesn't make sense. She hasn't voted against the people supporting it enough for it to be worthwhile. It's, it's got to be ideological. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it wild. And that, that's what we've seen kind of with proof with the idea of, I want to be able to fire county administrators. If I'm spending all mm -hmm. this money, I want to be able mm -hmm. to just tell you everything. I want to weigh in on I want to like set policy now. Masks and, and mm -hmm. other you know ideological stuff. Yeah, I want to set policy. I don't just want my approvals where mm -hmm. that was where it always seemed like Neil was. I just want my influence to translate to money, you know, profit, where it is Baruf. And Baruf doesn't have that. I think he is fine being the villain. I think uh, he doesn't have that need to be liked the same way. Um, he's he's more of that zero sum. Let's crush the opposition and let's you know let's 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 actually revel in in them hating us because they're just rhino or they're just liberals anyway. You know we run on liberal tears that sort of thing. <laughs> Uh, let's move on. We got two more races. We'll preview real quick the state senate uh, pr um, primaries. There are two state senate primaries that will happen in, in uh, depending where you live in Manti County. There is no opposition in the primary for Will Robinson or in the general. It looks like he's going to walk right through to the uh, to another term. But let's let me be out front here first. Neither of these races are going to be competitive. Senate District Twenty. Jim Boyd is the incumbent. Of course, he termed out as a you know state rep. Then he went and took over for uh, Bill Galvano. Uh, he is again facing a Democratic, uh, or excuse me, a Republican um, challenge from John Howman. I think Howman actually has run as Democrat before. He is a perennial candidate. He is very quixotic. Uh, that's putting it mildly. Um, he is a convicted felon who had his rights restored, and he's basically a single-issue voter or single-issue candidate on you know, uh, treatment of, of ex-cons. Um, 
Got some weird videos. Uh, He's not, got a YouTube channel. Again, not going to win. Um, but it gives Republican voters who are disappointed, I guess, in just the Republican Party of Florida because, you know, Boyd, look, I, I appreciate that. Uh, what was the rattlesnake key? You know, mm -hmm. he, he took the lead on that. That will be his legacy. But, you know, look, his whole entire time in Tallahassee, he has just marched lockstep with the Republican Party of Florida. He has voted with them on every vote, whether it be, you know, the really ideological, you know, from abortion to the don't say gay and everything in between, uh, punishing Disney, all those things, uh, the, the anti-solar bill that even that the governor um, vetoed. vetoed, he mm -hmm. was on board with. So, I mean, he's just lockstep with them. Uh, you know, and that's really what we've gotten for a long time. So we've just gotten people that maybe they get one thing in 10 or 20 years of serving that they can hang their hat on. And then all they did was advance the agenda of the Republican Party of Florida and the special interests that fund them. And that's really where Boyd is. So if somebody wants to cast a, a you know, protest vote against them, trust me, you're not going to send John Hellman to Tallahassee. That's not going to happen. Boyd is going to go. But it'll be interesting to see if people do that. In Senate 22, a little bit more interesting uh, you got another sort of grudge one. You've got incumbent Joe Gruters versus Michael Johnson, who's from somewhere over by Orlando. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, the uh, really the thing here, you've got <laughs> you've got the party kind of coming to the logical conclusion of the games they've been playing. You know, you've got Joe Gruters who, and I don't know. Him personally, I've observed him. You know, he's mostly been in Sarasota County politics until he got a little bit like his District 22 is basically southeast part of the county between State Road 70 and, and University Boulevard. Um, it's a nice chunk of Manatee County. Uh, he's really, I think, I look at him as a guy that was a Jeb Bush Republican, a neocon, was fine with that, and then jumped on the Trump train early and smelled, you know, opportunity. Uh, I don't feel a lot of like, you know, enthusiasm from him, but he's been very smart in terms of playing that well. But now this whole Republican purity test, mm -hmm. who's Trump here? It was interesting that uh, County Commissioner George Cruz wrote a guest op-ed that we published a few weeks ago talking about how Michael Johnson is a Republican extremist who's so far to the right and it's just a grudge and mm -hmm. he doesn't know this community and let's keep it local. And just because it's gonna be a closed primary, Democrats might throw this. It's like, first of all, how could Democrats throw this? They're not even fielding a candidate for the general mm -hmm. election. Mm -hmm. So they clearly don't have enough voters in that district to be effective because they're not even trying to contest it. So the idea that they're gonna cause Reuters to lose a primary is absurd. But the other idea that look, this is the logical conclusion of Gruder saying, I'm the Trumpiest of all the Trumpian Trumps that are out there, just like George Cruz did in his race, mm -hmm. just like Van Ossenbridge, Thatcher, and everybody else continues to do, this is what's gonna happen. So when you start eating your young, so to speak, you're not gonna get much sympathy uh, you know, from the voters. And yeah, maybe some Democrats are, and they tried to close the primary, but from what I understand, the person that filed as a write-in had something wrong with their, their uh, filing package, got sent back to them the morning of the deadline. They turned it back in like with their fingers crossed, and I guess they didn't make it onto the ballot. So it is gonna be open now. And yes, you are not going to get an alternative to Gruder's Michael Johnson. You've got somebody who's even crazier, even way more out in the right wing. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure how much of it Gruder's or Cruz or any of them believe it. I think, to be honest with you, I think they're kind of full of shit and probably don't think much of Trump to start with. But I think they're opportunists <laughs> in that sense. I, I do. I believe that. It's not a compliment. It's just, it's my, uh, it's my honest analysis. Uh, Michael Johnson, there's no question. He's a true believer. And how they got into a feud was he was actually... 
part of the REC over, I forget which middle state county it was, but there was some sort of beef in which he called an REC meeting that he didn't have the authority to call with all, all the people there and was trying to like get people kicked out for not being Trump pro enough. Trump and pro DeSantis enough. Mm -hmm. And when that complaint goes, it goes to the REC at the state level and Gruders is the chair of the REC at the state level and he sided with the REC or he's the chair of the RPOF or whatever it is. And uh, it was, oh, you're going to go against me? Well, then you're not Trump enough either and I'm going to primary you. So the idea that you could not even live here, not, not even know the community, not have any ties to it and represent it is absurd and you're going to get a complete whack job instead of one that might just be posing as one. Um, <laughs> you know. And don't forget, for all the things of Gruder's being more, he's the guy that also drove the legislation to try to get school board races to be partisan. So not exactly, you know, a moderate, you know, among his party. He's carrying the water for the DeSantis wing. Yeah, and, I don't, you know, I, don't I don't love that. No, that no. There's, look, you got the beaches, the ability to do smoking bans on the beach. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Again, he lives in a community. There's certain things he cares about. You're going to get some every once in a while. You're going to get a good piece of legislation that comes just owed on that. But you're also going to get a lot of sellout of, hey, Ronnie D would like this. So uh, I want to. I want to be in higher office someday. I better, uh, I better get on board. And I think it's very clear that Joe Gruders is a climber who will say what he needs to say to win races, just like you know his fellow Republican that wrote that guest op-ed. Let's go into what's the other guest op-ed. Or I'm sorry, bring that up. That uh, you brought yeah. Into. So you were talking about. So for those who did not know. Uh, our commissioner, George Cruz, he has, what, what is it? It is Perspectives from the Dais. I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's something like that. And it's a, it's in an online uh, blog site. So he has his own blog. It's the journal something or other. It's, uh, you know, uh, Commissioner Cruz, Journal of Commissioner Cruz. But he has I one. I did hear a lot of online stingers on drunk, that it should be titled drunk from the dais. That's a joke just wrote itself. Like I was waiting. Well, and, and I got, and I got to tell you, he's tenacious because I see him. He's consistently putting out his opinions in these, in these op-ed things. He's kind of sponsoring on this online journal. And a lot of times, if you look at the comments where it's being shared on social media, there's a lot of that on there. Like, why should we listen to you? Like, are, were you even sober when you wrote it? This kind of stuff. The, the digs have not ended in that regard. And George, I like a cold drink too. So I'm not trying to give you too much business. Go ahead. And I don't, I don't write drunk. That would be bad, but um, and I don't drive drunk either. Anyways, um, so today's piece that he had out, uh, I'm not going to go like heavily into it, but there were a few things on here that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, I guess I could say. Um, but a lot of it is essentially about why Jason Bearden's the right answer and Carol Whitmore should move on. Uh, pretty clearly, that is the messaging. You know, she's bad news. She needs to go. We need a change. But it's really relying heavily on that idea that we got the four that we got in 2020. What they keep telling us is the voters spoke, the voters spoke and the voters wanted change. And again, going back to what you were speaking of in terms of pack mailers and in the messaging, what got them in there is exactly what Bearden is trying to run on and exactly what Ron is trying to run on. And it's coming from the exact same pack. And it's the who's the Trumpiest and who's the real conservative, if you will, which really means nothing. But one of the things he wrote in here that, uh, you know, stood out to me, um, he's speaking of in terms of change within the county and all the uh, rapid change that the we've seen. The mass exodus of right. leadership. And he says, each time a director leaves our county, it's not portrayed as an opportunity to grow with new ideas. 
It is seen as a quote unquote loss of institutional knowledge. Each time it is, each time a policy is up for discussion, you can bet a senior member of our board will mention how it's always been done this way. Uh, if past policies had been perfected with no room for improvement, as if past policies had been perfected with no room for improvement in their eyes. Here's the thing. Change is not bad. Change is not bad. Um, I, I think that we should always, as individuals, right, as human beings, as organizations, as governments, we should be living in a way that we're always looking for betterment, where we can where better can we these things, always. Um, that is what growth is. Now, my, my problem with some of this narrative is that that is not to say that we're talking about whether or not Shake Pit wants to stop selling cheeseburgers here. We're not talking about a change like that that can be quickly like, oh, next week, that didn't work out. People are missing cheeseburgers. Bring the cheeseburgers back. It doesn't work that way. And you've got this, you know, the, one of the metaphor I think I said to you earlier is like you, you have an airplane and an airplane requires lift to stay in the air. If you come onto that airplane and you're new in that control box and you don't have the time to learn those controls and, and, and know exactly what you're doing and you just yank the control to take a hard turn, you're going to lose your lift and the whole thing's going to go down and, and you can't bring the cheeseburgers back after right. that. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a, it's change is not bad, but leading with arrogance is reckless. And when damage is done, to a large machine without the insight to understand that each change you make, you know, it, every action has a reaction. And if you aren't experienced enough and educated enough and didn't take some time to sit there quietly and learn. And you're just pushing buttons and pulling dials. Right. Then you don't, you're not even thinking far enough ahead to know what the ultimate outcome of this crazy change you're doing. So it, it does aggravate me a little bit that he seems to be downplaying the value of institutional knowledge. I am not saying that we're, you know, there shouldn't be betterment but you can't just go in like a bull in a china shop because you showed up and said, I've known better all along. Well, and let's say the quiet part out loud here, which is one, the people didn't speak. Your seats were bought for you. When you have people pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into your campaign, you win. That's the way it works. Um, and yes, there was, some, there was some money going into, uh, and again, Cruz ran against former county administrator Ed Hunziker, who has had an ongoing, you know, nasty feud with... Carlos Baruf, for best I can tell, saying no to him once uh, in an otherwise, you know, career that was mostly distinguished by being great for developers as an administrator. And not only did, even though there was some Neil money and everything floating towards Hunziker, not only did uh, Carlos Baruf spend an awful lot of money to buy George Cruz's seat, he also then had the expectation, Sherry Corrier will be fired because she's, Hunziker's girl. That's who Hunziker, you know, uh, gave the nod to when, when, it, when he retired. And then it became very clear, so will everybody that has any kind of footprint on that deal for the land deal. And we've seen they either resigned or been fired as well, uh, right up to the most recent one with Mike Gore. And then you have, it seems like every department director that even worked for Hunziker is going to be fired. And we're going to bring in these ideologues. And what we're seeing here is that, yes, you cannot revamp an entire 
county government or a quarter of it or whatever it is and all the leadership in one fell swoop. Institutional knowledge is real and, and it's important. And without a plan, right? Right, right? right, They took down Poirier without a plan, which is why we have hopes now, which was kind of like a fly by the seat of the pants decision, which is exactly why we ended up without an HR director for damn uh, no, near a year. I'm sorry, not a fly by the seat of the pants decision. A, we can't agree on who we want, so we're going to take one of our political buddies who has no relevant experience for the job, and we have no indication is up for it, and then who also brings a lot of his baggage with his giant ego, and you know people have to act a certain way if they're going to work for me and all that stuff, which is, I think, what we're hearing a lot of the mass exodus is just people don't want to work for Scott Hopes. Mm -hmm. So you've got that critical problem going on, unless they're his buddies he brings in, and then it's like, well, are we going out and finding the best and the brightest, or are we finding a limited pool of people that can work with this megalomaniac? Um, that I would say probably the latter, and I don't think that's how you get to a high-functioning organization. I just don't. Yes, and, and the, the lack of a plan, the lack of understanding the controls and being methodical in what you're doing and having a plan, and again, that is how we ended up without an HR director for... Which is an enormous part of all of this. Enormous part. Um, and, and then, so, and the numbers show it, you know what I'm saying? So in, in my most recent reporting, discussing- was it, was it a year without an HR director or close to it, right? Very close to it. Like within a month of, I okay. think, something roughly. Uh, they, they, the other one was fired August of last year. We just got a new one uh, last month, right. I think. I mean, well, we had one before that, but he left in three weeks. Right. So I, I don't really count him. Right. Um, but, you know- the, when, when the transition first happened, I was concerned about it. The transition between administrators, talking about. Uh, I was concerned about it. But then I, I'm, a, like I'm, I'm a cup half full kind of person. And so I was like, you know what? This might work out okay. The Piney Point thing went down. Scott Hopes was right out front. There were some other things I saw him doing, decisions and, and being outspoken that I saw him doing that I was like, you know what? Maybe this might actually better, be better for him than being a politician. I, I'm, I would, that was wrong. I know now that I was wrong. But um, at that time, I was thinking positively of it. And in the initial fallout that comes, again, speaking of actions and reactions, and there, were some, there was some employee turnover that came pretty swiftly immediately behind that, you know? And, and, and people were reaching out to me at that point when I was here, had begun interning here, and saying, hey, you should really look into this because I'm hearing this person and this person, this department and this manager and this. And I'm like, well, you know, that happens with change, right? You're gonna have some level of fallout like that. But the thing is, is now we're about a year and a half in, and that has not slowed down. And I suspect, based on what we've already seen, now that we've lost the director, or they've fired the director of uh, public safety, and I'm hearing it was a firing of Mike Gore in utilities. Yes, I what you'll confirm. hear all the time, folks uh, who are listening, um, you'll hear they resigned. Uh, everybody ultimately resigns in government because you're faced with an ultimatum of you can explain why you were fired when you have to answer that question. Have you ever been fired from a position like this before on your next uh, application? Or you can say that you resigned uh, for whatever reasons and most people take the latter and then it sometimes has to do with um, you know, their compensation on the way out as well. So there's a lot of incentive not, not, not to have to acknowledge that they're fired, but uh, we, we have an, un let's say, extremely good authority that both of them were 
can. Yes. And so there will be fallout from that. And, and in my recent reporting, I think I, I counted on the public records I went through and added it up and checked it again. It's like since Scott Hopes took over as administrator, we're somewhere up slightly over 650 employees now have turned over one reason or another. Now, mind you, that number is going to include those who have retired and otherwise. Sure. Um, but by comparison, under the previous administration and the administration prior to that, roughly the same amount of time, it's double the norm, right? That's concerning. No, Don, it's one hell of an opportunity. It's concerning. We'll leave it there. All right, listen, folks, this Saturday, early voting starts 8 to 6.30. I believe it is. Check it out on our website or go to votemanatee.com. And then uh, it runs for one week. It's at multiple locations. And during early voting, you could vote at any of them. So if you didn't vote by mail, this is the next easiest way to vote. You can vote at any one of these locations throughout the county over a seven-day period, Saturday to Saturday. And then the uh, last thing you could do is on the 23rd, on election day, you have to vote at your precinct. And over the years, some of the precincts have changed. You should have gotten mail. I know our supervisor elections office does a great job of getting that out. But if you missed it, go to votemanatee.com. It's very easy on the front page to find where is my precinct, and you'll find out where you have to go. Uh, make sure your registration uh, status is is all good, and uh, get out there, cast your vote. Because listen, there's some races here, like county commission races that are closed primaries. If you're in one of those districts, uh, the school board races. Like, let's look, if you live in District 4 right now, if you don't vote in the primary, you have no say whatsoever in county commission or school board. They will both be beside it in August. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, if you're not a Republican, you'll only get to weigh in on half of them. Um, but that's why these things are important. They're sometimes dominated by extremists, and then you end up with ballots in November where somebody's like, well, I don't like either one of the candidates. Well, that's why. Participate, right? Right. All right. For Don Ketterman, I am Mitch Bailey. This has been the Bradenton Times Podcast. Thank you for listening. And please, if you can, go to our page. Click on that screen that says $7 voluntary subscription support free, independent, high-quality journalism in your area.